our struggles with temptation. How do we overcome our temptations? How do we resist? How do we find victory when we're struggling with something that we know we shouldn't do, maybe we don't even want to do at one level, and yet we still do it? How do we overcome temptation? That's our topic this morning. And I'm not going to give you, I mean, there's so many answers to this question. There's so much that we could talk about, but we have a limited amount of time. So here's my goal this morning. I want to look at the temptations that Jesus went through. Explore those and ask the question, how did he overcome? Because as you heard in the gospel reading, each one of them he overcomes. How did he do that? It's our goal today. Would you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 4? Matthew chapter 4. And I just want to go down and explain briefly each of the temptations. What did he go through? Uh, what was he at? What was the temptation? And one of the things that we don't have is we don't get to hear like what the inflection was that the devil was using, what word did he emphasize, and there's different temptations these could be. How do we even know what the temptation was? And here's what I'm going to do this morning. I want to look at the answer that Jesus gave as giving us what the temptation was, at least what he thought it was, how he understood it. I want to look very briefly at the context of each one of his quotations to see what he felt like the devil was doing to him. Chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. So what is that temptation? What was he trying to get the son to do? Or how was he trying to get him to fall? This quotation here, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And here's the context for this. The Children of God, the Israelites, are being led through the wilderness. And Moses says to them, this is being done to test you. This is being done to test your heart, to test your trust, to humble you so that you understand who really provides for you. And so that you will get that the bread that God has been providing is not the most important thing, but rather God and the relationship you have with him. It's not, Moses would say to them, that God doesn't love you. In fact, what you're going through is actually because he loves you. The suffering you are going through right now as you walk through this wilderness, it is for your benefit, not because he doesn't like you or doesn't care for you, now, put that in the context. This is what I think Satan is saying to Jesus. If you are the son of God, which if you jump back a chapter to the baptism, 
that's what the Lord said to him. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Satan comes at him and says, remember, 40 days, no food. If you're really the son of God, does he actually care for you? I mean, look what he's making you go through. Just, just, you can cheat. You deserve to cheat. You've suffered a lot, and you're the son of God, right? So just make this bread. Eat. It's really not that big of a deal. And if he really cared for you like you think he does, if you're really the son, he's not going to mind if you do this little thing. Jesus' response, no. I do not need to turn this into bread, to know what God is doing in my life. Yes, this is suffering and it is hard. However, what I know is that when God does this, it has a purpose. That he's doing this to test us and to humble us and to make us recognize that bread is not the most important thing. But my relationship with him is. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Okay, the devil took him to the holy city and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, if you're the son of God, really, like you say you are, throw yourself down for it is written. Ah, let me bring the scriptures to you then. This is what you wanna live by? I can quote them back to you. The scripture says he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus' response comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. But it is a reference to a different story. Exodus chapter 17, this is what's going on. The children of Israel have been let out of, the, out of Egypt. They've been rescued in miraculous fashion. They've seen the gods of Egypt defeated. They've seen the sea part. God has led them through. They have been free, and they're on their way to Mount Sinai and eventually to the Promised Land. But on the way, God wants them to trust him day by day. And so he feeds them enough for each day. I want you to trust me. Okay? I did these miraculous things for you. I want you to trust me moment by moment. I'm not always going to give you exactly what you want. And that's the problem in Exodus 17. They get to a place called Manasseh. Well, it's named that afterwards. And they want water now. I want God's timing to be my timing for him to prove that he's actually going to take care of us. Yeah, 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 I know he's been giving us this food, but I want what I want right now, and God, you prove to me you're actually going to take care of me. And that's where this quote comes from. The devil says to the son, if you're really the son and God really cares for you, and these aren't just pious words you're saying. We're all good at saying the right thing. But if you want it to be real, let God prove that that's actually what he's doing. Let God prove that he's really taking care of you in the midst of your hardship. Make him do something to show you it's real. Because I know in all of our humanity, we all have questions at times during our hardest moments. We can spout off the pious sayings, oh yeah, God's in charge, I trust him. But there's part of us that is struggling with God, are you really? Here's Satan 
attacking that moment and saying to Jesus, make him prove it. I mean, hey, his word says he'll do this, right? Make it tangible. And Jesus comes back and says, I will not test God. I do not need to test God. I understand what he's done in the past. I understand his character. I understand what he's done for his people. I know that this moment, I don't need to test him. My words, when I say that I trust him, are real. And I do not have to test him on that. Okay, fine. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now he's pulling out all the stops. The first two temptations, some bread, and just make God prove that he really loves you and he's taking care of you. Now, here's a temptation. I'm offering you the entire lottery without taxes. I mean, this is a big one here. Here's the kingdoms. Here's the glory. I give it all to you. What is this temptation? Jesus, again, his response, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only, also comes from Deuteronomy 6. And here's its context. The people, as they go into the land, Moses says to them, be careful. As you go into this beautiful, wonderful land, as you go distant from when God was miraculously parting the Red Sea, don't forget that he's the one that let you out of Egypt, and he is the one that brought you to this land. Don't forget and start to think, well, I really am responsible for this. God's been quiet for a while. We've been traveling a long time, and really, we're just here because we're good people and because we made right decisions. And, or, the other one Moses says is, don't start turning to another God because you're looking for the miraculous again. Because God's not doing all these huge things at this moment. Don't forget him and turn away. Here's what I think the devil was saying to the son. Fine, I can't get you to doubt your identity, that you're the son of God. I can't get you to doubt his character. Based on that, let's try something different. I want to pull you out and I want to show you something amazing and huge, and beautiful, and shiny, and wonderful, and I want you to forget about all the good things that God does, and just remember the pain. And this moment, where you've not eaten for 40 days, and God is seemingly absent, that's what I want you to think about him, and I want you to see me. Forget about what God might have done in the past. Think about the pain you're going through now, and recognize that I can get you out of it. If you just take this step, You'll get everything you want. Take your eyes off of the amazing things that God has done for you in the past and remember only the pain you're in right now and then recognize that what I offer is better. Recognize that I can give you something you're not getting right now. And in this case, be gone. Jesus has had enough. Be gone, Satan. You will never turn me away from him, no matter what you offer me. His plan is always better for my life, even if it includes suffering. It is still better. You will not make me doubt that I am his son. And if I were to follow you, if I were to step into this, I would lose that. 
I will not turn away. Be gone, Satan. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. That is what he went through. Those are his temptations. And I would imagine if you thought through it enough, you would see some of that in your life. Doubting God's provision. Doubting about what really is the motivation for what I'm going through right now. Like, I'm not sure. Forgetting at times what he's done for you because something you're going through is so hard that you lose sight. And maybe it's time to step in and do it yourself. Maybe I need to take control. I would imagine at least some of this resonates temptations that you have had. So here is my question. How do we overcome this? How do we fight these? And I would start with this. Think with me for a moment about temptations. Temptation is the desire to do something that is wrong or at least unwise. Why would we ever want to do that in the first place? I mean, just think logically for a moment about it. How many times, and please don't raise your hand, how many times... Have you fallen to temptation and regretted it? How many times have you fallen to temptation and it wasn't everything you thought it would be? It actually let you down. How many times have you fallen to temptation and just felt guilt afterwards? How many times have you fallen to temptation and it hurt a relationship? It hurt somebody else? How often has the temptation actually been a bad thing at the end. And you knew it before you fell. Are we a bunch of idiots? I feel that way sometimes. I mean, have you ever been like, before you're gonna make whatever that is, whatever that temptation was for you, but you're actually going through your head going, I shouldn't be doing this. I know this isn't gonna be as good as I think it is. And yet, I step into it anyway. Why is it so hard to resist when we actually know that it's not good for us and probably won't live up to everything we think it will? Two reasons. Number one, temptation is emotional. Think about what Jesus went through. Temptations go at our fears, our insecurities, if you're really the son of God, if God really loves you, they go at our pride, prove it, show that you're really this person, our sense of entitlement, I, I, I deserve to have this. Sometimes they attack our lack of value. There's all this emotion that is part of temptation. It is not just the reward. It's all of the underlying things that are pulling us toward that reward. And it's not just emotional, it is also physiological. There are studies that have been done that show when you start to experience temptation, your brain actually produces the cravings in you that are the equivalent of feeling stress. Even pain, 
Have you ever been thinking about the temptation and feeling like, I have got to have that? And it's not even because of what it produces. It's like there's something driving you going, I've got to have that. And if I don't get it, I can't get rid of whatever this is that's sitting on me. Temptation actually produces a kind of stress in you to get it. Here's the point. Much of our temptation is irrational. The reason you can't talk yourself out of it is because it's not a rational argument. You're not going, okay, if I were to take this, even though it's wrong, it's the best of all possible worlds. If I get this, everything will be great and wonderful and better and my life will be perfect. No, we're going, I shouldn't take this because it's not good. Like, I'm gonna despise myself afterwards if I step into this, and yet I've gotta have it. That is an emotional, physiological response that you cannot rationalize your way out of. You can't just go, argument one, two, three, four, five, I'm done. Because have you tried that? I have. I have tried rationally talking myself out of some of my temptations, and yet I still step into them. It is like trying to have an argument with a two-year-old. I had one yesterday. He wanted to go down this green slide at Central Market. And he's up there and I'm sitting down. And he comes all the way and he says, Daddy, they won't let me go down the slide. All these kids, they won't let me go down the slide. And I said, okay, I'll go up there with you. So I walk up and there are like seven or eight kids. And they're all going down the slide and running back up and getting on it again and running back up and getting on it again. But they're all grouped together. And they all went down the slide and there's nobody standing. I said, okay, buddy, it's your turn. There's nobody here, go ahead. No, they won't let me. Buddy, they're not here. No, they're going to be. No, no, they're, yes, in a while, go, it's your turn. But, but no, they're on the slide. They're not, I'm looking. They're not on the slide. But they're coming at some point. Would you go and here they come? See, they're here. <laughs> and we tried it one more time and I gave up. Because you cannot have a rational argument with a two-year-old. And you know what? When I finally said, buddy, it's time to go, we, this is our third child. This is our first one that actually throws tantrums. He fell down in the middle of the playground crying and screaming at the top of his lungs because he didn't get to go down the green slide. And everybody's looking at me, why won't you let your child go down the green slide? (laughs) You take my child down the green slide. Go for it. And so I'm dragging this child off if he's crying, ah, and I'm torturing him or something. You cannot have a rational argument with much of your temptation because at its root, it's not rational. Then what do you do? Two things. Number one, know the nature of temptation. Come at it with as much knowledge as you can, right? Here's the nature of temptation. I'm gonna give you a bunch of bullet points here for anybody who's taking notes. And if you're not, you can go listen to the sermon if I ever actually get it online. Number one, remember that temptation is not rational many times. It is emotional. Your best defense is not the perfect argument, right? Number two, know this. 
Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. It's the desire to sin, but it is not sin. And I I can make that unequivocal statement because Jesus, according to Scripture, was tempted. Here in Matthew 4, Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4, both of them talk about Jesus being tempted. The temptation is not sin. Don't lie to yourself and lose control. Oh, I was tempted. I'm already a bad person. I'm just going to do this. The temptation is not sin. Number three, temptation is common to all people. Don't ever feel like you're alone. Don't have some excuse like, I'm the only one going through this. I might as well do it because I'm just an awful, terrible person. Temptation is common to all people, according to Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, common to all people. Number four, I've got to look at my notes. Dang. I've got number five in my head, which means I skip number four. <laughs> That's really important, too. Um, temptation has purpose. Do you know that Jesus was actually led into this and that his argument was God was using this to test him, to humble him, to show him that God is more important than anything he thinks he might need? Your temptation is not meaningless. It can be used by the Lord to humble and to test and to build you up. Number five, and this was one that was stuck in my head, temptation is harder when you are mentally, emotionally, physically, or spiritually compromised. When you're really, really tired, temptation is harder. When you've had some big emotional moments, temptation is harder. When you haven't eaten for 40 days, temptation is harder. Just know It's going to be harder when somehow you are compromised. And number six, you have an advocate and a help. According to Hebrews 4, you have a high priest that was tempted in every way that you are. Therefore, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence and ask him for help. You see, when you are being tempted, you may think to yourself, because I have thought to myself, I am a horrible person. This is a really awful thing, and I can't believe I even want to do this. There's no way God wants me in his presence right now. That's the logical thing we might think. The opposite is true. Jesus is saying, come to me, because I have felt the temptations. Go to him and say, I'm being tempted with this right now. Will you give me help? Because that's what he's there for. So number one, know the nature of temptation because the nature can demystify part of it. And there are ways in which temptation is working on us that they shouldn't be. I went camping when I was pretty young and we slept in this trailer. Um, This trailer was not the the most um, solid piece of equipment. Um, And I remember waking up and it was right at where the, just barely gray outside And there was the sound of a bear growling. And it freaked me out. I'm laying this thing, and this bear could just tear right through these walls with no problem. There's a bear out there, and I'm like, I could just go back to sleep, but I couldn't because I'm freaked out by this bear. 
And then my younger brother rolls over and the bear stops growling. <laughs> and it starts again. My brother was snoring. And I spent a half an hour thinking there was a bear outside of this trailer and couldn't go to sleep. Now, I couldn't go to sleep then either because he was snoring and it was still loud and annoying. But it took away the false part of what I was hearing. Understand what temptation is. That's annoying too. It's not a bear, but it's annoying. Come on, uh, sound guy. Get rid of that noise. All right. Here's the heart of all of it. How did Jesus overcome this? I want to say something that I hesitate a little bit to say. And the reason I hesitate to say it is I have not heard or read this exact thing in any of the commentaries that I studied. And I hesitate to say anything that might be new. I don't think it's new. I think there's probably people that have said this before. I just couldn't find it. Here's what I usually hear about this passage. The way you overcome temptation is you memorize scripture. And then you quote that scripture at the enemy and it'll make him flee. Okay, I've tried that. It doesn't work. Every once in a while, that, 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 that is not what is happening here. I guarantee you that's not what's happening here. Jesus did not memorize a handful of verses and then when temptation came, he spouted them off like a magic formula. Hocus pocus, go away. Abracadabra, take off. That is not what is happening here. Here's what's going on with Jesus. And it's, it's a reversal. Hey, here is Satan coming to him twice and saying, if you are the son of God, thinking that that will actually be a temptation because he is suffering right now and he would start to doubt, am I really the son? Does he really love me? I want to argue that's actually his strength. That the way that Jesus overcomes temptation is by his identity. Who he is. Let me say it like this. Christianity is not primarily about what you do, but about who you are. And we have changed that. We have made it into rules and regulations and things we must do. That's not where Jesus started. He started with who he is. Think about this. When you are born again, You are a new creation in Christ. You are adopted as a son or a daughter. That is identity. That the heart of overcoming temptation is who we are. Let me give you a couple examples of what I mean. I was reading about a guy who, he had become a vegetarian. And he'd have friends who would ask him, isn't it hard to give up meat? And he said, initially it was hard, because I like meat. And just to think, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. He said, although everything changed, when I began to realize I'm a vegetarian, it's not I can't, it's I don't. I don't eat meat. 
And he said, it completely changed my mindset and actually made this whole process so much easier because that's who I was. Studies. Hey, I'm gonna give you just one. A study was done with 20 women and it was about working out, exercising. These 20 women were divided into two groups, just groups of 10. For 10 days, every time they were tempted to skip a workout, to grab a donut, whatever it may be, one group was to use this language. I can't do that. I can't miss that day. I can't grab that donut. The other 10 were to use this language. I don't miss days at the gym. I don't eat donuts. 10 days. At the end of 10 days, these were the results. One out of the 10 didn't cheat from the I can't group. Eight out of 10 didn't cheat from the other group. And this kind of study has been replicated multiple times. That identity, I am the son of God. This is who I am. And my actions come out of it. I don't worship other gods. I don't test the Lord my God. That's identity. And it is absolutely a part of everything the son is. Everything's filtering through that. He's not trying to overcome a particular thing here outside of who he is. When that raises up, he starts with, I am the son of God. That is my father and my God. I do this. It's pervasive in his life. I told you about six weeks back, um, I got a Fitbit for my wife for Christmas. And recently there was an article about a couple um, that discovered they were pregnant through their Fitbit. They had one that had the heart rate on it and it was increasing and they went and had it checked. It didn't actually tell them they're pregnant, but it just, there was a sign there. They went and, and they were pregnant. Well, I got my wife a Fitbit with a heart rate monitor. She is not pregnant though. <laughs> but my family, we all have these now. Myself, my wife, and my daughter. The three of us have these Fitbits. They have changed our lives. And I mean that. Like, we think daily now about how to get our 10,000 steps in. Like, we are reorganizing our schedules to get our 10,000 steps in. When we move to the end of the day and, like, we haven't gotten it, we're thinking, I'm like, hey, honey, I'll watch the kids for a moment so you can go walk around the block a few times. Like, we're all in on this thing, even to the point. So um, we figured out that sometimes when your arm isn't moving, it, it, it isn't registering, and so like we discovered that, and we discovered this later, unfortunately, that like when you're walking through a store pushing a cart sometimes, it's not registering your steps. Do you know how many steps you get when you're grocery shopping? And it's not measuring those steps. And so my family, um, if you see us walking around and we're doing this with one arm, <laughs> it's because we gotta make sure we get measured. Like we push carts like this now with one hand, which is really hard on your wrist. We're carrying stuff. We all carry it in whatever arm we're not, we don't have our watch on. <laughs> we're like doing this, even if it's really heavy, we're doing this as long as we get our, our, our thing in. We gotta make sure we get our steps in. 
I mean, it has just completely become a part of like how we think and what we do and decisions that we are making. And it's each other too. Like we try and help each other get our steps and we challenge each other to this. The word of God was that pervasive in the life of Jesus. All of his decisions, all of his thinking. Okay, he was not quoting an out of context verse. No, he knew it. He knew it so well that when the devil came at him, he said, no, this is not how God works. This is not how I work. And he was able to quote something, not because he memorized it, but because he knew the entire section. In the New Testament, you have all these Old Testament quotations. They were not memorizing a verse. They had so inwardly digested the word of God that it just came out. It was a natural part of their identity. That is how it is for Jesus. That is why he is overcoming. You want to truly overcome temptation? The word of God needs to dwell richly in you, as Colossians 3 says. Dwell richly in you. You want to overcome it? Romans chapter 12 says, let your mind be renewed. Thinking differently because God's word is so much a part of you, all centered on this. You are a child of God. First. And living out of that. No matter what you are going through, this is the primary thing. I am a child of God. There is strength and power in that that is far beyond our just willpower. Far beyond memorizing a select verse and throwing it at your temptation as if that's gonna make you overcome it. That is living out of an identity. This happened, I think, in a really, really powerful way in 1945. In December of 1944, a young man named Roddy Edmonds was shipped off to the war with the Nazis, right into the Battle of the Bulge. He was captured along with all of the men that were with him. 1,275 men were captured. Now, at this point, the Nazis had already started the final solution They were going to rid the world of all Jews, and they had included at this point Jewish POWs from allied nations. So at the camp, 30 days in, one evening they announced over the intercom, tomorrow morning only Jewish prisoners are to fall out. Edmonds, who was the ranking officer at the time, said to his men, we are not doing that. And the next morning, 1,275 soldiers fell out in front of the barracks. The Nazi commander was furious. He came straight up to Edmonds and he says, these cannot all be Jews. And standing next to Roddy Edmonds was a 19-year-old Jewish soldier 
who was interviewed for all of this information, and he said, I still vividly remember exactly what he said. That commander said, these cannot all be Jews. And Edmund said, we're all Jews here. And not a single soldier backed down. Guy pulled out a gun and held it to his head. You will call out the Jews or I will shoot you right here. And he said, if you're going to shoot us, you're going to have to shoot us all. And the guy backed down. And that day, he saved around 200 Jewish lives, but not just him. All of those men. Because any one of them could have been shot. But hear the phrase, we are all Jews here. The strength to not back down, to not fear for your life, came with an identity, not a Jewish identity, but we are all in this together. You will not take one of us unless you take all of us because this is who we are. We are a band of brothers that will not give a single man up. Where is your identity? It is the strongest thing you have against temptation and against living this life in the way God has called us to. Let God's word truly get into your life so that you think and breathe and act and decide based on that word as a child of the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, forgive us. I think I can say this about 99% of us here, including myself. We have not taken your word seriously enough. At times, we have used it as if it were an answer book, as if we could just grab part of it and quote it, and it would make everything all right, instead of truly inwardly digesting it, letting it impact everything that we do, letting it be the primary thing that we think through when we make our decisions. Lord, help us to so fully embrace that we are your children, that that comes before everything else, that we might be like your son who overcame the temptations and went on to serve you wholeheartedly and in all submission. We ask it in his name. Amen. Oh,